I invite you to take the Word of God once again and go with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter number 3, as we work through our exposition of this great book. And this morning, as we look at the beginning of a new chapter, as we often remind ourselves, uh, we've got to be careful that we don't separate the thoughts of a previous chapter as if there's an end to what we've already uh, dealt with, but that we look at these things as a continuation of what we have already learned and what we have already heard. Uh, Beginning there in chapter 3, beginning there in verse number 1, we're going to read down to verse number 6. The Bible says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. I immediately, as I began looking at this chapter this week, and every time I come to this particular chapter, my eyes are always drawn to three words. It's the word consider in verse 1, and then the last two words of verse 1, Christ Jesus. Uh, The subject that's on our minds this morning is just that phrase, consider Christ Jesus. Uh, We remember that in chapter 2, and even in the introductory chapter of chapter 1, we have been looking at the foundations of the declaration of the nature of Christ. How this one Christ, and how he is in possession of these three offices of prophet, priest, and king. Those thoughts have not been uh, disbanded from the overall message of the book of Hebrews. Uh, Chapter 3 is again a reminder of the offices of Christ, the offices as prophet, the the office as king, and the office as priest. Now what we see here in this text by way of an overview is we see uh, the office of prophet uh, and as, as far as teaching and the office of king with regard to his governing, we see that the writer of Hebrews here in this chapter compares Christ with Moses and also makes reference to Joshua. Uh, and then with regard to the priesthood, there is going to be a comparison made to Aaron. And we've got to consider and think about this when we see a comparison of Christ being compared and contrasted with uh, the humanity of another individual, the main purpose and the main goal is not to uh, negate completely the human instruments in which we're being used as an illustration to Christ, but we do have very clearly a declaration that Christ is better than them all. Uh, Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than Joshua. Christ is better than Aaron. But what this writer is proposing to us, and he's intentionally speaking to us our consideration, and with, I believe, a very sobering and a grave exhortation. Exhortation is is a call to attention. It's a call to something to be pointed out. Uh, He is calling us to consider 
Christ Jesus by giving us these comparisons. So we're going to see a comparing and a contrasting of a familiar Bible character. I'll use that term very loosely because we think character and we think of a, of a story and a make-believe individual. Of course, Moses is not make-believe. Uh, Moses is a real human who lived and is purposed by God in the entirety of God's plan and certainly in the plan of redemption. But I believe that the writer really wants us to focus all of our faith and all of our attention on Christ Jesus. Now, that's the one thing that we have no problem here exalting Christ every time we are together. We have no problem seeing Christ on every page of the Scriptures. We have no problem considering that Christ Jesus is our all in all. We have no problem considering that Jesus Christ is, was at the very creation of this world along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We have no problem considering Christ because Christ and His worthiness is on every page, in every chapter, in every verse. A church that, ce that ceases to preach Christ is ceasing to preach the Word of God. Consider Christ Jesus. Now, in order to set our compass the right way and in order to set our direction, I want to just give you a quick outline of the entire chapter. And I'm just going to give you verses. I'm not going to, we're not going to expound on it much today other than verses 1 through 6, and we'll see how that goes. But in verses 1 through 6, the primary overarching uh, idea that we are to get here is that there is the glory and the preeminence of Christ Jesus over Moses. The glory and the preeminence of Christ Jesus over Moses. Again, the purpose and the intent is not to insult or to run down Moses but rather to use Moses as an illustration to his purposes in pointing to Christ Jesus. In verses 7 through 13, Hebrews chapter 3 gives us a strong warning, and I would say a strong exhortation against unbelief. It's interesting that chapter 3 begins by making a clear declaration that Christ is superior and better than Moses. Now, you understand with me that to the Jew, that is a strong statement. It is a strong statement to say that Christ Jesus is better than Moses. It would be an even stronger statement to say Christ Jesus is better than Abraham. To the Jew, that's almost at the level of insult if they are not a believer. Because in their mind's eye, the very picture and the very purpose of God is wrapped up in Abraham, their father. Remember, the Pharisees and many believed as Jews that the reason we're going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God is because Abraham is our father. They truly believe that. And there are those today who will not consider Christ who are relying, sadly, in a false manner on their genealogy, on their family tree, to gain them access to the kingdom of God. 
on the very real practical level where we are today. There are people who are seated here today, possibly, who are saying, I am relying on my parents or my grandparents' religion to get me into the gates. And I would say, no, you need to consider Christ Jesus. Because it is in Christ Jesus is where we find the very fulfillment of these things. And he's going to deal with unbelief after he sets the compass to look in that one direction towards Christ Jesus. And then the chapter ends in verses 14 through 19 with an exhortation to persevere. That those who are truly in Christ will in fact persevere unto the end. So I think it's very clear what our subject is today. Consider Christ Jesus. We consider Christ Jesus because He is the only, only one worthy of our consideration. Notice the word, verse 1, is wherefore. Again, that is a connecting word. If this chapter or this page was just ripped out of the Bible and we just had chapter 3 and we saw the word wherefore, we would say, what are we talking about here? But we know that what he's referring to is this is a continuing thought of what we learned. And we dealt last week how that he is our faithful and merciful high priest in all things pertaining to God. And we saw the beauty of those words in verse 17 of chapter 2 to make reconciliation for the sins of the people and that Jesus Christ suffered temptation and because of that he is able to help those who are tempted Often the question comes is, if Jesus was God, was He really tempted? Of course He was really tempted. He, he, was, he experienced the temptation, yet without sin. No, He could not sin. But He still experienced the same temptations that you and I experience. When we consider Christ Jesus, we are considering He who is our everlasting teacher. He who is our everlasting prophet. He who is our everlasting eternal king. And who beautifully, he is our high priest. Jesus Christ is sitting there at the right hand of the Father, making intercession. That intercessory prayer of our Lord is most important. And it's something I hope you never take lightly, nor you never take for granted. I'm always amazed when I think that the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for me and he's interceding for me because I couldn't do it alone. I could claim Abraham, I could claim Moses, I could claim Joshua, but that's not what's going to get me to the throne of God. It's not what's going to get me to God himself. It is only through Christ Jesus that I can even get to the throne. And yet, remember, the, the readers of these letters would have been people that, again, there have been people I believe falsely said that the book of Hebrews is not for anybody else but the Jews. I don't agree with that conclusion. There are some that don't teach the book of Hebrews in their churches because they say, unless you're teaching the Jews, this has no consideration for them. I say that's someone that does not know their Bible. That's someone who's been falsely taught and if the book of Hebrews is not for you and I, let's just dismiss and go home. Because the great truths that are contained in this is calling each one of us to consider Christ Jesus not as a Jew, not as just a Gentile, but that all sinners must consider Christ Jesus. No matter what you come from. No matter what your background is. No matter what you've done as a sinner. Consider Christ Jesus and what He has done. Now we do know that 
the writer, when he uses this word wherefore, also gives a, a very powerful uh, declaration to who he's writing to. Holy brethren. Holy brethren, he calls those readers of this letter, which I do believe the primary readers were a lot of, they were a bit of a lot of Jewish people. And that's why these words become so powerful. But when he says holy brethren, he's not calling them holy brethren because of their birth. He's not calling them holy brethren because that there's some merit in them to have gained the word holy in front of that great word of unity, brethren. But rather he calls them brethren because they have experienced the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is one of those grand doctrines that we we learn about and we realize that sanctification is of the Lord and we know the purpose of sanctification is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus, not into the image of, of an apostle, not into the image of Abraham, not into the image of Joshua or Moses, but into the very image of Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul dealt with this principle of holy brethren because of the sanctification in the book of Ephesians. If you'd like to turn over there with me, Ephesians chapter 1, the the pinnacle, if you will, of uh, the writings that deal with uh, the election and, and predestination and the purposes of God before the foundation of the world. You know, all those words that so many people are afraid to utter because uh, they just can't understand how could God do the things that he does, but yet that's where the glory is is that God is fulfilling His purposes. But look with me at Ephesians 1.4. And again, this is why he's referring to them as holy brethren. He says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now they are called holy brethren because they have before the foundation of the world. Don't be afraid of this. They have been chosen before the foundation of the world. Chosen means exactly what you think it means. It means you were picked out, chosen before the foundation of the world, that He set His love upon you. And that leads us to say, all glory be to God. Hallelujah. He set His love upon me. And it wasn't because of anything that I did. I keep searching through the catalog of my life and I keep finding and looking and searching. There has to be something here that made him pick me out. The problem is it was before the foundation of the world. And I believe God did that to assure that we would never be able to find anything. How can you find something in your catalog if you didn't exist? So that you would not have anything to boast in. You would have to stand and say, Lord, it is all of you. That's why they're called holy brethren. Paul continues that similar train of thought in Ephesians chapter 5 as we're, as we're coming to the end of that particular book. And it, it deals with the passage, it, it, the first couple of uh, verses there before that about the husbands in verse 25, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now watch this, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. 
that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This sanctifying process, he declares us to be holy. We are declared holy because we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ himself. And one day, and, 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 and figurative already, he's already done it, but there's that day coming where he is going to present his bride And when we're presented, we will have no spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes. All because of what Christ Jesus has done. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Paul also reminded the church at Colossae about this as well. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, this sanctifying spirit and why we are called holy brethren. Colossians 1.22, and Paul had been leading up to this statement by reminding them that you were sometime, in verse 21, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. This greeting of chapter 3 of holy brethren is nothing to take lightly. It's very similar to the phrase that we saw where Christ himself is not ashamed to call us brethren. Imagine a perfect, holy, righteous Savior not ashamed to call those apart from him wicked, depraved sinners, but I'm not ashamed to call them my own. And again, nothing you did to earn that. But he also says not only the holy brethren is part of the sanctifying process of the Spirit, but he also says we are partakers of the heavenly calling. The partakers of the heavenly calling, why is it a heavenly calling? Because that call to come to Christ actually came from heaven itself. It came from God the Father. This was not just something random that you stumbled into. You know, often we, in Christianity, we still use the phrase that These things just happen by chance. There's nothing happening by chance. Chance in and of itself isn't actually a thing. But we do have the reality that this was an actual calling. And this was not just a calling that was just random and whoever happens to pick up. Some of you won't even know what I'm talking about because you're so young. But there used to be and there's still occasionally a phone booth. And a phone booth is quite an invention. Young people, there was actually a day when you could not make a phone call by taking a phone out of your pocket or out of your purse and actually calling someone. You actually had to look for a place and they had this funny looking thing hanging on a wall that had buttons that you actually had to push. You couldn't speak to it. It had this funny receiver that you put up to your, put up to your ear and it had a cord and you actually had to stand by the phone. You could not actually walk around the house. You couldn't walk outside. You had to stand in the phone booth and you had to be compete with all the noise on the outside. Well, occasionally, if you remember this, you might walk by a phone booth and if this ever happened to you and that phone was ringing and there's nobody standing there. Now, what are the people on the other end of the line hoping was going to happen? That some random person would pick up that phone because they, or... Someone told them, hey, at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning, 
I'm going to be standing right there by that phone booth. And if you'll call that number, I'll pick it up. You realize God's effectual calling on you is not like that. You realize it wasn't just you happen to be walking by the phone booth when, and pardon the crude illustration, that you were walking by the phone booth and you just happened to pick it up. That effectual call was not random. It was real and it was effectual. Which means there was no question you were going to pick up that call. And because you have been effectually called, you are not a hope to be a heavenly partaker, but you are actually a partaker of this. I hope that gives you that are in Christ today more assurance than you already had. Now we do know that nature, creation itself, gives a general call to everyone to consider. Right? The atheist shows his foolishness by saying there is no God because even earth itself, creation itself, says this is a general call to believe God. Now, I'm not going to get saved by looking at the sun. I'm not going to get saved by looking at the mountains. I'm not going to get saved by looking at my favorite place in the world, which is standing on a white sandy beach looking out at the ocean. That's not going to save me. But it is going to show me that there's a God. There's a general call. But the effectual call for those who are heavenly partakers, this was not a general call. This was a specific call that you were called unto Him. Romans 1 and 2 gives us the, this, this, this general call. Romans 1 talks about the call through nature. It also talks in Romans 2 about there being a call even through man's conscience. Now think about this for a moment. Uh, that God Himself is, is in general calling man to consider God. But we know the sad story of Romans 1, 18-20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that, watch this, that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Not just outward, but in them the truth of God. For God hath showed it unto them. It leaves man with that general call without an excuse as to confirm that there is in fact a God. But Paul in Romans 2 takes it one step further about the conscience. And he says in Romans 2, 14 and 15, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, by whom? By Jesus Christ. According to my gospel. Man is going to be judged by what he did with Christ. He's not going to be judged by what church he attended. He's not going to be judged by the good things that he did. He's going to be judged by what did he or she do with Christ Jesus. When the call went out on October 21st, 2021, to everybody under the sound of my voice, the command to consider Christ Jesus and repent and believe the responsibility is on you to consider what Christ Jesus is and who He is. Man is left at a place where we understand that God does the calling, no question about it, but we are commanded to point people to Him. We also know that part of the general call of God is 
the providence and how things work. Nothing happens by accident. But for those partakers of the heavenly calling, again, they receive an effectual conquering call. They are, in fact, the elect. Many of you have a similar testimony to mine in that you ran as far away as you could from the word elect for as long as you could. And there came a point in time when God conquered you. There was a time in my life when I stood up and I said, I will never accept the doctrine of election. I will never acknowledge that God, before the foundation of the world, in His right and sovereignty, has determined who will receive that effectual call. I probably had the attitude that I won't let God effectually call me. You miss the the reality of what an effectual call is. An effectual call means it accomplishes what it was intended to do. When you came running to Christ, you came running to Christ not because you had a change of mind, but because you had an effectual call of God on your life and all the nevers suddenly became, I never thought I'd ever come to this place. Where now I acknowledge the election of God. And I'm not ashamed to use the word election. I don't talk about the word election now in the dark corners and say I don't want people to think I believe this. But you know what the doctrine of election has done for me personally? It has made me consider Christ Jesus more than I ever considered Him before. Because when I was not understanding even the very doctrine of this heavenly calling, this effectual call of the election... I somehow thought that I'm considering Christ Jesus because I've just arrived at that place where I decided I'm going to follow him. The problem is, man is unrighteous. The dead man doesn't allow himself, cannot make himself live. You see, man's not just sick. See, if I just think I'm just sick with my sin, I might be able to take some remedies to make myself better, but if I'm dead... If I'm dead, I'm not getting myself up. These partakers of the heavenly calling that he's referring to were those, in fact, who knew of the election of God. I don't know when it started. I don't know what led to it. But if you are interested at all in the history of the church in this country, find out when the first churches were planted and first churches started in this country and find out how many churches in this country actually were actively, boldly preaching the doctrine of election, effectual call, predestination, and watch what happened to our country. We are now the ones that everyone looks at and says, you're those heretics that talk about election and how God does this and God damns them and that's just not the right God and why would God be able to choose? Most every church in this country was founded on these very doctrines that now have disappeared. What happened is man got in the way and man decided, I want this God to be about what I want God to be. And so it got so bad that what we started to do is I get to choose God for myself or reject him. As if there's some kind of badge of honor in that. Some of you struggle mightily with loved ones who have already died, loved ones who, if they die, will they go to heaven? And they say, and the, 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 the temptation is to say, listen, I, I would rather they make the choice. If we were left to ourselves, not a single person in this building, not a single person, the sound of my voice, ever chooses Christ for themselves. 
Paul is writing, or Hebrews, and the Hebrews and the Romans, whatever the writers are throughout Scripture, you go and you look, and when they say consider, they're talking about people who understand what it is to already be in Christ. But we receive this effectual conquering call in Galatians 1, verse 15. I love what the Apostle Paul says. He says, but when it pleased God, and by the way, The effectual calling and conquering call of God is according to his good pleasure. Paul, his testimony is that very thing in Galatians. He says, but when it pleased God who separated me, does Paul say it was God's pleasure and I separated myself? No, it was God when he is pleased to separate me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. It's amazing what my definition of grace used to be. We sang about grace. We saw the word grace. We read about grace. And you know what it meant? It meant that God depends on my cooperation. That God can't do anything unless I cooperate. And that God can't even carry out His plan unless I cooperate. Now why in the world would the God of all creation even stoop so low as to say, I'm going to depend upon you, depraved, wicked sinner, to carry out my plan for your cooperation. Paul says very clearly, he called me by his grace. To do what? To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. I love this because Paul did not go to other people and say, is this real? He knew he was called by God. He goes on and he says, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went unto Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Paul very clearly says that this was a conquering call in his life. This effectual call. And Paul would have called himself a heavenly partaker. And let me just show you one more. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. I've often wondered what... what, I I know we have the scripture and we read it. But I, I would truly love to have watched the times when Paul and Timothy actually had any interaction between each other. The things that Paul must have wanted to instill in Timothy. He gives him, of course, all of the inspiration of the Spirit. But you can see the love and you can see the desire that Timothy would fully understand what the real gospel is, who Christ really is. And I love what he says in 2 Timothy 1.9. And let's, make a verse, let's start in verse 7. He says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. There was a temptation to separate yourself from people like Paul who were imprisoned for the gospel. Paul says, don't be ashamed of this. Just like we saw in Bible study this morning in Philippians. Don't be ashamed of this because the things that have happened to me have happened unto me for the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel was Christ Jesus. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. He promises Timothy there are afflictions that come, but take these afflictions and remember the power of God who hath saved us 
and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus. Here that phrase is again that I used to ignore. Before the world began. I cannot find anywhere in Scripture where it says cooperate with Jesus, cooperate with God. I can't find anywhere where God says, I've done 50%, I've gone half the way, you come the other way. I can't find anywhere where He said, I've come 99% of the way, you come the other 1%. I can't even find where He says, one-tenth of a percent you need to do. He said, this is all because of Christ Jesus and what's already been done for you. This heavenly calling, this call is a beautiful call. So even in this introductory verse, Paul if he's the writer, you know, we don't be dogmatic about these, but some are. And if it was the Apostle Paul was the author of Hebrews, okay. But I do see the great truth that is here. He says, consider the Apostle and High Priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Here's where Jesus is called an Apostle. Consider the Apostle and High Priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. That word, consider. Consider, take a good look at. Focus your attention on. The apostle and high priest whom we confess and profess. We talked in Bible study this morning about a profession of faith does not make you a child of God. And I hope we understand what I mean by that. Just because you tell me you're something doesn't mean that you are. Just because I stand from this pulpit or I stand out there talking with you and I say, I have a profession of faith doesn't make me, guarantee me being a child of God. We learned this morning how that if we are in Christ Jesus, that there will be works, good works that will manifest themselves. And we're going to look at this principle next week about that we are his workmanship. He creates these good works in us. Good works are not saving, but they are the evidence of true faith. That's why a person who makes a profession of faith and never shows any fruit or evidence of their salvation, we have to call into question, is that person really a believer? But the writer says, consider, take a good look at what you see before you. Christ is called the apostle because he was in fact sent of God to preach the gospel of redemption. Did you know that Jesus Christ himself was a preacher of the gospel? Now, modern day contemporary churchgoers don't want you to understand that Jesus Christ was an actual preacher who actually preached wrath. He preached the forgiveness of sins. He preached against hypocrisy. He preached about the sins of the people. But one of the, one of the, the grandest verses about the preaching ministry of Christ is found in Luke 4. And of course, this is, is a fulfillment of prophecy of the Old Testament. But it speaks about Jesus and his role as this apostle, his role as this preacher. Uh, Luke 4, uh, and this is, this is after the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by the devil. And it, it says in verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, 
Now he's quoting Isaiah, but this is Jesus himself speaking these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. When Jesus stood up and preached as a prophet, notice what it says, all eyes were on him. Do you think that those hearers in that synagogue, which it says was his custom to go and open the book, do you think they were brought to a place where they needed to consider this Christ who had just preached before them? Jesus Christ himself preached, consider me. Do not rely on your family tree in Abraham. Don't rely on Moses. Don't rely on Joshua. He acknowledges that he was sent of God to preach the gospel of redemption, to secure the salvation of his people by his obedience and death. Imagine being the prophet who is speaking the very words of life at the same time he is the very means and the very way in which redemption and salvation is going to be secured. It's going to lead us into when we begin talking about the builder of the house. These are all important foundational things because we understand that when Jesus came as a prophet, he was speaking of himself and what he was going to do. We see part of this uh, played out in Romans chapter 5, one of those uh, great chapters of, of the book of Romans. And in verse 19, uh, Paul writes, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness to eternal life by jesus christ our lord you see jesus christ was the very preacher the very prophet who preached about his own source that he would be the way of redemption back in hebrews go to chapter number nine and you'll see this again and this will play out over time as we get to all of these passages and we go line by line and verse by verse but down the road a bit in in hebrews 9 verse 26 through 28 it says this for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and as it appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment so christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation i don't go out every day and look up to the sky and look for him that way but do you know as one who is part of the family of god every day i get up with anticipation looking for his return do you look for his return you see those who are in christ are longing when they will actually see this christ that they have considered for so long Imagine having conversations with people and not being sure of what you believe or why you believe it. 
Folks, I hope you are so secure in your faith that when you stand and you talk to somebody, you don't make apologies that Jesus Christ is the only way. You don't make apologies for what you stand on. You're not ashamed to say before the foundation of the world, Christ called me out. He conquered me. Even when the world and maybe other believers resist and say, oh, you believe all that heresy, huh? Listen, all you can do is put where it was intended to be in the first place. Preach the truth and let God do His work. And I'm using the word let God very, very loosely because you know I'm not saying grant Him permission. This idea that we're praying and we're going to let God do what He needs to do. God, I'm going to let you save them. That's the only way they're getting saved. And it's not because I let them. Ultimately, And I know this is hard, and this will be hard for some people to get. That loved one didn't get saved because you prayed for them, per se. But you better believe, every moment of every day that you have opportunity to pray for that loved one, you should be taking their name before the throne of God every single day. But never make the mistake that the reason they got saved is because God, you told God, it's okay, I want you to do it. God already marked them out before the foundation of the world. He would have called them unto Himself with or without you. That's not an excuse for you not to give the gospel. That ought to rally you more and more and say, I ought to be preaching the gospel even more knowing what I know about God. Because if He saved me, if He saved that wretch that I look at in the mirror every single day, who is beyond His saving grace? Only God knows. And even that, God is just in whatever He does. He's right. Let's just finish with this as we consider looking at Christ. Christ is the high priest. Why? Because He entered into the holiest with His atoning blood. And now He intercedes for us with the Father. All of this comes from really Hebrews chapter 9 when we're way down the road still, but we just read from there. But Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 says, But Christ being come as a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. This connects exactly what we're going to talk about next week with the building of the house. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It is his blood. It is his sacrifice. It is his intercession. Later on in Hebrews 9 verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. And then the final verse I want us to see this morning is Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter. How do we enter? We enter by He who is the door. Folks, there is only one way. There is only Christ. You are not getting there any other way. It is Christ or nothing. It's a shameful thing that Christ has been pushed away and pushed out 
of so many churches that have caved, that have caved to the society that says, if Christ is really so good, and it's led churches to start doubting, should we really be preaching such a message in such a time like this? Folks, it has always been Christ. The Old Testament saints were calling men to consider Christ Jesus without ever using his name. Everything was to be looked upon as this is a picture of this Christ who is going to come so that when he comes, it will be unmistakable. It'll be so obvious. You can't miss it. But Hebrews 10 goes on and says, we have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That's why we can go in by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of the judgment and fiery indignation shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now folks, this is a sobering verse I'm getting ready to read. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot. This is unfathomable for a child of God. Trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. He said, if you think this was bad, what happened when they denied Moses and they despised the law, how much worse is it going to be when you deny Christ Jesus? Folks, there is not a more important question. And I don't care if we're believers or unbelievers here today. There's not a more important question you need to consider then what, what, what have I done with Christ? What am I considering about Him? Have I trodden underfoot the Son of God? Do I just dismiss this and say, this is all fairy tales and this is all fables? This doesn't concern me. Verse 30 says, For we know Him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. Now, I've often read this, and we've read this to scare the daylights out of unbelievers. But do you realize he said the Lord shall judge his people? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Call to remembrance the former days to which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Next week, we'll get in more about how Christ is compared with these buildings and with Moses. But I hope today we'll take the opportunity to consider and think and consider Christ Jesus. If you have yet to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
That is the utmost urgent need of the day. Don't let your presence here today or presence online say, that's my security. I've checked my box for the week. God is not impressed with any work that we offer. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. You said, I wore my best. I brought my best today. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. You said, my attitude's really, really good today. It's not good enough. The only thing you need to consider today is consider Christ Jesus and what he's done. And that all of my hope, all of my trust, all of my faith is in Christ alone or it's nothing. Consider Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your word. And Lord, I want to thank you this morning that you've allowed us to spend this amount of time just on this single verse. And Father, how it's illuminated us and it's spoken to the hearts of those that are in Christ, no doubt. But Lord, we as believers, we are burdened today. We're burdened for hearers of the gospel who do not know you. We're burdened for loved ones and family members. And Lord, I pray that we would not become so involved with church that we lose sight of the mission that you've called us to. Father, that we would remember the great calling that effectually called us into the family of God. We need to be more faithful in giving the gospel everywhere we go. Lord, not sitting idly by and watching society and just saying there's nothing that can be done. But may this be a call to remembrance and remind us that what the world needs, what the church needs, what we need is to consider Christ Jesus again and again and again. And Lord, protect us from ever growing weary of the name of Christ. May we never reach the place where we say we preach the gospel too much. All we ever do is talk about Christ. May that be a badge of honor to this church. Because we know that there are those who will put the Son of God and His blood under their feet and they will attempt to stomp Him away. But we are grateful that He can never be removed. And we're thankful that all of our hope and all of our eternal surety is wrapped up in what Christ has done. Father, as we bring our time to a close today, Lord, may we think on these great truths. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I ask these things. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to just remain seated and turn to page 280.